0: For our second lesson we're going to read through Psalm 23. Now these last five weeks of the season of Lent, uh, in the middle of the week there's been an email sent out or posted on Facebook with a video of us walking through Psalm 23, one verse per week. And so we're really reviewing the verses that we have been working through and then leading then right into tonight's verse that we're going to study, verse 6. And so we read Psalm 23. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now it's that verse 6, that final six, that final verse that we're going to get into tonight and dig into as we think about Good Friday, and as we think about why, why this day exists, why this day happened, and why this day is so good. Now a lot of times in life when we ask the question, why? Sometimes it can be in a very uh, very simple way, like a pretty casual way, like, I wonder why this, or I wonder why that. But a lot of times, especially as we get into adulthood, uh, when we ask the question why, it's in really challenging times. You know, why did this happen? Why did this not happen? And sometimes the question's really hard. And tonight, as we get into this verse, this verse isn't going to give us all those specific whys. It's not going to say exactly why this or why not that, but as we... Tonight, see why Good Friday and why this day really is so good. It's going to give us some comfort in those other times, too, when we're wondering why. Tonight, we're going to see the heart behind Good Friday. We're going to see what leads into Good Friday. We're going to see these events from God's perspective and really from what we can look at and enjoy and really appreciate. We're going to see why these events are so good by seeing why they happen. Now, before we get into verse 6 itself, we're going to go back and, you know, if we've been going through these last, through the verses of Psalm 23 so far, we should spend some time reviewing where we've been. If you've been watching the videos, then a quick review for you. And if you haven't been watching the videos this way, you can get a little recap of of, of where we've been going. So we started here five weeks ago uh, with a video, and it started with Ruthie and me in our living room. Ruthie, do you remember filming that video? Yeah, you remember that? And we started there because that is the music portion of our living room, because we started off talking about how the word psalm, that's typically translated psalm, it's the word mizmor, and means a song or a melody. When you think about this famous psalm of David, it is a song, a melody that's meant to ring over and over in your head. I don't know about you, but I get songs in my head pretty frequently. And I'm kind of okay with it. Like, I kind of like, I just like kind of walking with a melody and having it in my head. Well, this psalm is a song that can be a melody in your mind, in your heart. The words here that David writes, they're meant to really be a melody that can really ring throughout your life. And this melody, it starts off by talking about how the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. From the music area of our house, we went out to spend some time by some sheep and talked about being a shepherd. one of the things I found really interesting when I was studying David's time period and and being a shepherd was that it it wasn't just a unique thing to David to talk about a leader being a shepherd. This is actually a really common thing uh, in that time period. Uh, The Egyptians, other neighboring nations, would talk about their kings like they're gonna be shepherds, these leaders should be shepherds, and the idea apparently is, is that we recognize that we need people to kind of take care of us and to protect us. There's apparently something in our our human instinct that we need a leader to watch out for us, to provide for us. Now, unfortunately, most human leaders don't do the best job at that. But there is a shepherd who provides for us, who makes it so that we have everything we need and will never be in want. From spending time with the sheep, we went to verse 2. We went out to the pasture for a little bit, but then, actually, from the pasture, we went to a campground nearby. Anybody, by the way, figure out what campground it was? Or did I say it in the video? I don't remember. It was Lake Kaganza State Park, so just about, what, 12 minutes from here. And we went from the pasture to the campground, because in verse 2, when it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. The verse is really communicating that my shepherd takes me to a spot where I can stop and kind of settle in. When it says he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters, think about how a shepherd would lead a sheep, trying to find a place where they can have food, trying to find a place where they can drink water. And once you find that spot, you can settle down there, you can stop there and kind of set up camp. Even the words that talk about—usually it's translated "quiet waters." It literally means literally reads "lot waters," a resting place. In other words, for us, we don't have to keep searching to try to be satisfied here or there. We don't need to try to find enough over here. We don't need to keep trying to to keep moving forward to all these other places. You have everything you need right here in your shepherd. You can stop with Jesus because he provides for you. He is your resting place. And on Good Friday, we see especially how he's our resting place because when Jesus, when he died on the cross, or right before he died on the cross, he said these words, It is finished. He did all the work. He paid for our sins. He died for our sins. And then he was laid in a tomb where he rested on the Sabbath day. There's not a thing you need to do to make yourself right with God or to know God is for you in this life and to know that you have eternity with him. You can stop. He has done it. It is finished. He is your resting place. He makes it so you can lie down in green pasture. He leads you beside Quiet waters. From the water side, we went to a trail, and we walked on the trail and talked a bit about how sometimes when you're in a, in a state park, maybe you've seen signs like this that say you got to stay on the trail because if you go off the trail, it could damage the environment around it, or you might also see a sign that says stay on the trail because if you go off, there's poison ivy and it's bad news. So often in our lives, we don't stay on the trail God has provided for us that he would call us to live on. We go off. And what happens? We damage the environment around us. And know what else happens? We poison ourselves. But the good news of Psalm 23 is that it says that he restores my soul. Literally means that he brings back. He brings my life back to a good spot, to a good path, in a good direction. He restores my life and he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. From the state park, we, kind of, we teleported back to the church and looked at some of the greeting cards there, and when you sign a greeting card, you're saying, this, this is from me personally to you. It, makes, it gives it a personal touch, right? Or when you sign a contract, or I showed some of the camp health forms, if you sign those forms, you're saying, I'm responsible, I vouch for this. God has placed his name on you. And so God takes personally bringing you back and setting you on a right path. God takes personally your life today and for eternity. He leads you in paths of righteousness for the sake of his own name. He is personally responsible for you. He takes that to heart. From being on those paths of righteousness, then we went outside into the dark for a bit. Because the next verse is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we talked about shadows. Shadows tend to scare us. They can make us feel really scared. Uh, I shared how when I would go to be at church camp when I was a teenager, and I would actually, when I was in the woods, turn my flashlights off because I'd rather walk in the dark than walk with their shadows. They're scary. And we live in a world where there's a shadow of Death. And when you think about death, don't just think limited to just where you stop breathing. Death, really, it, it's, it's, it's more like where you're incapable of, of doing and being what you were meant to be and doing what you were meant to do. That's why there's physical death, but then there's also spiritual death. You are meant to live with God, be with God, walk with God. Sin separates you from God, and so it makes you spiritually dead. And when you think about our lives, we are walking in shadows of spiritual death all over the place. Which is part of why we experience so much fear in this life, so much worry, why we shrink back and we hide in guilt and shame and all these things because we are walking in the valley of a shadow of death. But the good news of this day is that our God dove deep down into the valley of the shadow of death, actually into death itself. And Jesus died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, to take all the consequences for your sin and mine and to break the power of sin and death. Because he broke the power of sin and death, he can be like a shepherd who keeps us going in the right direction, going on to to life with God. And he's the one who keeps us safe. If there's someone who can see where you're going in the dark and someone, if you're walking in the dark and you don't, you can't see where the next step is, to have a shepherd who's going to use his staff to keep you in the right direction is awfully comforting. And that's what our Savior is. Not only does he keep us in that right direction, but he really does make the scary things of this world just shadows. You know, shadow isn't the actual thing, right? It doesn't actually have the power. It just kind of looks like it. If Jesus went into death and came out the other side, even death is a shadow now. It doesn't have the power anymore. All those things that might feel scary at first are just shadows. Because he is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. From the dark valley, then we went down and, and had a little meal. And uh, we laid down, and we, 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 I laid down kind of on the floor there with this little backdrop here. And because this verse, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Biblically, and in, in Bible times, a table it literally means a spread. And typically was done on the ground or on the floor. And then you would recline or relax there and have your meal. Which all the more, when you think about reclining on the floor, makes the next part of the verse so powerful. Because then, in the presence of my enemies, you make it, God, so I can recline. The, the, the word enemy, the, the, the idea with it is it literally describes one who, who oppresses you or causes pressure on you, tries to hold you back from something, traps you. Which is why I used this board last night, last week, to ask, like, what is it that makes you feel pressured, trapped? Hopeless, worthless, whatever, that, whatever those things are. In the presence of those things, God says, you can relax and eat. They have no, you don't have to be afraid of them anymore. Because he's anointed your head with oil. He is, that means he has chosen you. And not only that, he has given you a cup that overflows. Or literally, a, a, a cup of satisfaction, a cup of abundance. You and I, we have a cup of abundance When you think about a cup of abundance, don't just think of like something you drink out of. Biblically, they use the picture of a cup often to talk about the direction of your life. What is going to come next? And a great example of this is the night Jesus was betrayed. Jesus prays to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but... Your will be done. So Jesus, recognizing that there's not another way, says, okay, Father, I'm going to drink from this cup. And because Jesus drank from that cup, went to the cross, died for your sins and mine, to remove our sin, what separated us from God, now you and I, we have a cup of abundance, of satisfaction, even in the presence of those things that would normally pressure us or make us whatever. He has chosen you. You have a cup. Of abundance. Tonight we get to the final verse of this psalm and as we do so it kind of pulls these things together maybe even shows us some of the heart of God that's behind all of these beautiful verses that we've already gone through and as we see this last verse it can bring to light the why behind this day and why it is so good. In our last verse it says surely goodness and love will follow me. When we use the word good in our language, do we typically mean that something, well, if we, if we want to say something's really awesome, we'll say it's awesome or it's great, right? If we say something's good, what do we mean? Eh, it's good, right? Which is why I need to clarify the biblical concept of good is not just, eh, it's good. The word goodness is not just, eh, goodness. And... To show it to you right away, I want to go back to chapter 1 of Genesis. When God saw all that he made, so when the world was flawless, without sin or any issues, what did he call it? He said, it was very good. Yeah, it's very good. God looks at the world and says, this is very good. So when this verse says goodness is going to follow you, this is a beautiful, this is awesome. Surely goodness beauty, greatness, all this. Think greatness, think wonder, think awesome, think flawlessness will follow you all the days of your life. Think about that, but then, let's be real. Does it always feel like, ah, goodness is following you all the days of your life? Nah. Some days are not great. Some days are like, eh, not even so good. Right? Some days are not good at all as we look at them. Which is why it's helpful to see another spot in Genesis where the word good is used. When God created the, 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 the garden and he made all those trees, there were those two trees that have the special names in the middle, right? There's one that's a tree of life and the other one which is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I put in parentheses the word bad because a lot of times when we think of the word evil, we think right away just of like morally not good, like morally evil. This word is bigger than that. It's not just that you do something that's morally wrong, but it's like all the consequences that come with it. It's all the, the, the result, the negative, like the, 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 the pain, the hurt, the suffering, right? And so it's not just like, oh, I'm going to do this, and it's either I'm going to do the good thing or I'm going to do the wrong thing. It's, it's, it's choosing good and bad, all the bad stuff that comes along with evil. Remember, God gave Adam and Eve this opportunity. Okay, I created you. I put you here. i eat from the tree of life. I want you to eat from the tree of life. And you're going to live forever. And it's going to be good. And God-style good. Where this is great. But I'm not going to force you. I'm going to give you the opportunity to express your love and your trust for me. And so I'm going to have this other tree called the tree of knowledge of good and bad. And it's your choice. You can either... Receive goodness and life from me. Or you can eat from this other tree and try to figure out good and bad yourself. And FYI, you're going to experience a lot of bad because if you eat from that other tree, God says, you will surely die. But instead of trusting God and receiving life and goodness from him, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and bad. And as a result... We're living in a world where there's a whole lot of bad. And there's a whole lot of bad in this world because, if we're honest, do we always trust God for what's good? God, your ways are always good. Do we always follow God's ways and say, God, yep, what you say is good? Or do we, like Adam and Eve, say, all right, I'm going to, but this looks better to me right now. This, I think this is going to make me feel better. We so often we go and we, we eat from the tree of knowledge of good and bad. and So we live in a world where there's a whole lot of bad. That's a tough spot. That's why we have these bad days, these bad things. Not that every single bad thing that happens in your life is directly tied to a bad thing that you did, but you live in a world full of bad things that happen because this is a world where people do a lot of bad things, including us. And the tough news is... is If God were to have left us that way, all we would have is life where, yeah, maybe there's hints of some good, because we live in a world that's touched by God's glory, and yet there's a whole lot of bad. And at some point, we would even leave this world where there's hints of good, and all we would have would be bad, because we would be separated from God forever. But in the middle of that heaviness, as we think about choosing good and bad and all the bad we face, know that the bad we face is actually what's beyond, behind this day. God saw all the bad that we face and decided that he was going to do something good. And the fact that God would do something good in the middle of our bad is why we have this day. Because God, in his word, he says, he says here to through, through David that surely goodness and love follow me. And the word love, it's not, it's not what we typically necessarily think of when you think of love. And you maybe heard, like, in Greek, there's, like, the various kinds of love. This is Hebrew. This is Old Testament. This isn't agape love. This is something different. This is covenant love. It's the Hebrew word chasen, which is a great word to my Hebrew teacher in college loved saying it, and I know why, because you have an excuse to clear your throat, and it's a lot of Okay? Take that word to heart. It describes God's covenant love. Another translation would be his unfailing love. It's a love that exists because God has made a promise to you that he's going to love you, and because he's made a promise to you, he's never going to turn away from it. God's covenant love is a love based on the fact that God will never change, that he will never stop loving people and going after people and wanting people. Even if we go other directions, even though we've chosen bad, the covenant love of God is an unfailing, never-ending love. How's the Jesus Storybook Bible say that? Cameron, I'm trying to remember. Unfailing, never giving up, always and forever love. That's what this word is. It's a love built on the promise of God and how God will never fail. It's the fact that God wants us to have goodness, and the fact that God has this unfailing love for us. That is what's behind Good Friday. When you see Good Friday, you see a day that happens because God's goodness is coming after us. And because he has a love that doesn't shift, it doesn't fade, it will never break. It is always unfailing for you. That is why today happens. Because God's goodness and his love will follow you. And follow me is kind of a lame translation. It literally means chase after or run after. The goodness of God is running after you. I think maybe of, uh, maybe if you if dog lovers of God and, you know, run in the field with your dog and they come running, chasing after you, it's a good kind of chase. You know, because most of the time when I looked up pictures for chase, it was like bad chase, like something bad's after me. This is a good chase. Your dog running after you to get the treat, whatever, you know. Maybe kid running after you to come get picked up, whatever. Take your pick for a picture. The goodness and love of God chasing after you. And the fact that the goodness and love of God are chasing, running, sprinting after you is why we have Good Friday. Because the goodness and love of God drove God to chase after you all the way to a cross. All the way to death itself. All the way to being laid in a tomb. Good Friday happens because the goodness and love of God is chasing after you all the way to the cross and the tomb. That's why Good Friday. David, he goes on to say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this phrase is interesting. It takes a little bit of thought because when you think of the house of the Lord, a lot of times we immediately associate that with the temple the house of the Lord. But in David's day, the temple was not built yet. So it's interesting that he would say, I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The temple's not there. They do have the tabernacle, which is that temporary tent, um, which is still at that, that place where they've got the most holy place, so the presence of God would dwell there in this really beautiful, big way. But David didn't live there. He didn't stay there all the time, and actually he didn't have access to the most holy place because he wasn't a priest. And it comes from the right background, back, back, right line, right tribe. So clearly, as David is saying this, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he's, he's pointing to something bigger than just that there's a, a, a most holy place that you could go to. He, he's using the picture of the house of the Lord to point to something bigger than that. For him, it appears to be that in his life, he recognizes that the presence of God is not just isolated to the most holy place in a tabernacle but that he could experience the presence of God wherever he is. And for you and for me too, that we can experience the presence of God right here, right where we are now. David uses the picture of the house of the Lord to point to a a different way you can experience the presence of God. But as he points to, uses that phrase to point to a, a, a different way of experiencing the presence of God, it's probably even just bigger than just that he could experience the presence of God right there in his life, because the way way these writers often work, the way God inspired them, is that there's an immediate way that it's fulfilled in their lives, but then ultimately points to something bigger, and ultimately points to Jesus. And we get a little clue of that when you look at a conversation that David has with the prophet Nathan. After David has been king for a while, David makes a statement. He says, I want to build a house for the Lord. David wanted to build a temple. And interestingly enough, God, through Nathan, said, no, you're not going to do it. You're not going to be the one who builds a temple. What he he goes on, he says, Nathan says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. You're not going to build a house for the Lord, David. The Lord is going to build a house for you. And your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, your throne will be established forever. Now, part of how God builds a house for David is that David's son Solomon, then, is the one who builds the temple. Or he organizes it, orchestrates all of it, and the temple is built that way. But notice this verse 16 about how your house and your kingdom will endure Forever. Even that temple being built by Solomon was pointing to something bigger. There would be a kingdom that would come that would last forever. Solomon didn't stay king forever. And that temple didn't stay around forever. When they were taken captive by the Babylonians, it was destroyed, and they had to build a new one. It's all pointing to something bigger. And we see that as something bigger when Jesus comes around. Even though most of the people didn't really get it. But there's this conversation where Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And the people are like, what are you talking about? You know how long it took us to build this temple? But Jesus wasn't talking about the building, right? He was the temple. The temple is the place where God could dwell on the earth and where people could come and, have, and be in God's presence, or at least the priests could. The ultimate way God dwelled on the earth was in the man Jesus. And the way that that God would make it possible for people to be in his presence is the man, Jesus. And that couldn't be clearer than on Good Friday. And we read that in our first lesson about what happened when Jesus died and he gave up his spirit. At the moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And this temple, uh, this curtain is huge, crazy thick, tall, and it just rips in half. God made it pretty clear that, okay, I'm done with the temple as it was. It pointed ahead to the coming of the Savior. He's here. In the, the temple, the, the curtain would be the separation between the people and the most holy place. God tore it. Don't need to separate people from the holy place anymore. Why? Because Jesus already paid for every single sin you and I have ever done. Full access to the presence of God. Not only full access to the presence of God for eternity, but also, you know, that that, that temple kind of kept that curtain kept people out, but in some ways it kind of kept the holiness of God in, in a way. And God could come running right out and you can experience God's presence every day in this life as you look forward to his presence for eternity. It all pointed ahead to the fact that, that Jesus, Jesus was the ultimate temple, Jesus would die on the cross. Jesus would be torn so that curtain could be torn. And full access to the presence of God is yours. Jesus happened, excuse me, Good Friday happened because God wanted you to be able to be in His presence, to experience His presence today and to live in His presence for eternity. God wants you with Him and He wants to be with you That's why Good Friday. God wants you in his presence so he can show you his goodness. So he can show you his love. So he can be all those things that we talked about already from this beautiful song. God wants you in his presence. That's why Good Friday. And that's why this day is so good. Because this is the day that God makes it so that you can be in his presence forever. Now when you think about why this day happened, now we can go back to all those hard, hard days. Or maybe we're wondering, why, God, is this happening to me today? Why, God, is this not happening? Why, why all this? I don't have the answer to, to, to the specifics of the why, but I do know the initial why, the underlying why. The underlying why is that we're, we're in a world where there's a whole lot of bad, and people have chosen it. But in the midst of this bad world, or this world full of bad, we have this day called Good Friday, where God himself entered into all the bad and took all the bad on himself so that all the bad that stood between us and God could be placed on him so that when he died on the cross, it died. So that what separated you from God could be torn apart. So that you could have full access to the presence of God. And you can know that goodness is chasing after you. In the middle of whatever you're going through, it's chasing after you. And you can know that no matter where you're at or how far away you feel, God's love never fails. And it is chasing after you. And because God himself became a person, became the ultimate temple, and died on Good Friday for you, you have access to the presence of God. The presence of God, God himself, is with you right here, right now in this moment. And you are looking forward to being with him forever. This is why Good Friday happened. This is why this day is so good. tonight. Ponder what Jesus did on the cross and know that it is because of God's goodness chasing after you, his love that never fails, and that he wants you in his presence today and for eternity. Tonight, cherish